Today on the podcast, we're going to talk with actor Faith Knapp on her purpose, her process, and a lot more. You ready? Let's go. You know how you sometimes feel stuck? Like you're drifting through life, going through the motions? Then you're in the right place. Find your purpose. Live your passion. Let's go. All right, Faith. Really excited that you're joining me today. And you're my daughter, obviously, but... I wanted to have you on just because of the amazing things really that you have done in your life already and you're only 24. So I know there's going to be a lot more, but you know that I love talking about people finding their purpose and then actively pursuing it and having joy in the process of just living out the life that they felt they were called to live. So for me, I'm a Jesus believer. I believe God has placed that in our heart, that we have this hole in our heart that can only be filled by eternity, but he gives us gifts and talents and desires that he wants us to use for his glory and to increase them. And that makes us come alive and makes us feel joy. So that's why I love to talk to people about this, because I don't think you can really live a joyful life if you haven't given any thought to what is your life. What is the purpose of your life? What are you being called to do? How can you help other people, serve other people, love other people, be part of something bigger than yourself that that brings joy into your life and into the lives of others that you share it with? Because otherwise, why are we here? So, you know, that's my big thing. And so I wanted to talk with you about that today. So first of all, how are you doing? I'm good. I uh, have a week off from my theater job so I don't have to see my kiddos for a week which is sometimes great um and yeah I'm just catching up on life things there's not a lot happening in our industry right now because um both of our main unions are on strike so so for those of you don't know Faith is an actor in LA she moved from our house in Jacksonville to LA almost three years ago now isn't that right two two years ago two two Two. feels like a lot longer when you're gone Faith so two years ago, she went out to L.A., so she's you know auditioning for film, she's auditioning for TV, she would do theater, there's not as much theater over there, and this is something she's been pursuing. She, she works teaching exercise classes, she also works at a children's theater in L.A., so she's got some things going on to do and pay all the bills while she continues to pursue being an actor. She's been um, casting some really cool stuff that's coming out soon that we can't talk about because there's a strike going on. But I'm excited about what's going to be coming out and what her future is going to hold. So I just wanted to start with um, your story. I'm I'm a big believer in stories. And so what's the story about how you found your passion for acting and what do you think that purpose is in acting? Um, I think I did my first show when I was six and it was because um, I have a little sister and she's three years younger and we would always make these kind of little shows together or play pretend together. And so with my friends, my like go-to game was playing pretend and creating stories. And then one day my mom was like, you know, people do this on purpose together, like choreographed. And I didn't know that that was a thing that people did. And I thought that was really cool. And so my mom found the children's theater that was doing Annie, which is the perfect show for a six-year-old girl. And I went and auditioned and I dressed myself in the fanciest Christmas outfit because that's what I thought you were supposed to do for important things. And I sang a song from Mary Poppins and I did my first show there. And since then, I've done other things. I tried sports. I tried other aspects of art and I liked all that stuff, but there was nothing that I kept going back to like I did with theater. And then I had a really great teacher in high school who I was in a beginning acting class and we were going around and saying what we wanted to do for a job. And I said that I wanted to be an actor, but that that seemed kind of like a far reaching thing. And that I was probably going to major in something a little more safe, like interior design, which now being an adult, that's not safer. But in my head, that was. Um, And my teacher, his name was Mr. Schmidt. And he said, why? Because you're scared. And it wasn't like a judgmental statement. It was just a very open statement of like, why not do the thing that you really want to do? And then from there, I was in his class every year and I was in every show. And then I 
eventually got into his repertory theater class, which is like the varsity theater group. Um, and then I decided to get a BFA in acting, which means that that is literally all you do for 18 hours a day is be in the performing arts center. And yeah, then I just decided that this was what I was going to do with my life. And I think a lot of it also was because like you said, you are a big supporter of people's passion and what they want to do. I don't think if I had different parents, I would have made the same choice. I think I would have been a lot more scared if my parents were consistently telling me it wasn't going to work. And so I think that was really helpful to have people in my life and parents that were supportive of a dream that most people don't achieve. Um, And the reason that I like acting, I mean, there's so many things, but I think the main reason I like it and why my peers like it is it's the most connective thing that you can do. Like you meet people all the time and you understand them so much more by them telling you their favorite film versus like, what do you do? And what's your favorite color? And where did you grow up? When somebody can communicate what art form really speaks to them, I feel like you know them so much more. And we get to feel all these emotions that people feel unsafe presenting, but they need to see somebody else experience so they don't feel alone. And I think that's really powerful. That's great. So you see the purpose, and correct me if I'm wrong, it sounds like you're saying the purpose is to be able to express these emotions that everyone feels and sometimes they can't express them in their real life. And so to see that played out in a story um, is uplifting, right? Yeah, or even just cathartic to... Like there's so much power in just letting someone know that they aren't the only one that has felt this thing or has experienced this one thing. It's like we are saying the unspeakable things that everybody wants someone to see in them. And I think that's really lovely. Or we're just giving them like sitcoms. Sitcoms are also art. You're giving somebody a break from their life and letting them laugh about something that is totally unrelated and like a little mini escape from what they could be dealing with or from their everyday life. And I think that's great too. If this resonates with you, I want you to have a free gift from me. It's my ebook, Five Steps to Finding Your Passion and Purpose. Get it at my website, gregorybnap.com. The information's in the show notes. Yeah, and you see that as part of your purpose too, of entertainment? Not, not you know, I mean, obviously you're entertaining someone when you're they're getting a catharsis out of what you did, but also just... Entertainment for entertainment's sake, just something that makes you laugh, something that makes you cry, something that uh, helps you get through your day. Is that a purpose? Yeah, definitely. I think without, that's a big thing with this strike that the actors keep emphasizing is you have to pay artists for what they do because it's always kind of been the back burner job of like, oh, that's cute. You act you're not very smart or you're not very um, hardworking or you're not very dedicated, especially like I'm a girl. So a lot of times from guys have gotten like, oh, that's really cute that that's what you do. And it's not taken super seriously, but the irony is the president, the CEO of this, the finance bro, all of them go home and watch TV at night or they wake up and they listen to music or they listen to a podcast or they watch a comedy show, like all of that is artists. So if you took all of that out of people's lives, they wouldn't be happy or excited or content. Even if you're not like a quote unquote artsy person, you still consume art every day. So is advertising and media and all that stuff. For sure. And, and there's definitely, uh, a, a big thing in the humans is this desire for story, right? From the dawn yeah. of time, you tell stories to each other late at night around the campfire, whatever. And that's taken on all these different forms now from spoken word to written word to TV, to movie, to theater, that it's still story, story, story. We crave stories and whether it's drama or comedy, uh, the story drives so much of it. And that's what you guys do. You tell stories in, in film and the better the story, the more it makes you feel and the more it entertains you. So, uh, man, I love it. I'm, I'm with you 100%, and I hope you guys get this thing taken care of because I want some more stories. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But you mentioned a couple things. You said um, you said that 
your teacher asked you, oh, because you're afraid. And I Mm. thought that was so good because it's true. So many of us go through our life afraid and we push things in front of us, behind us, all around us to try to block out that fear. But everything you want in life is on the other side of your fear. And so for you to push through it and move 3000 miles away, you barely knew anyone there. You, 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 you were trying to get a job in this exercise class that you taught back in Jacksonville because it's nationwide and you got it. And then you had a bunch of other jobs and you were house sitting for people and you're pet sitting and doing all kinds of stuff. I'm just super encouraged that you cared enough about what you felt like your calling and your purpose was that you pushed through all that and you're still in it. I mean, it's not like you're rolling in it. That's the other part of the strike is a lot of the people that are not the top 1% of the Hollywood actors. You get a job every so often. There's no way you're going to survive on that, especially if, if you're not getting compensated well and yet, you know, the, the streamers and the TV and the, in the film industry, they're all making their money. And so, yeah, it's nice to be able to hopefully get an equitable share on that. So I'm, I'm hoping you guys get that done soon. The other thing I wanted to touch on faith is your purpose is not all about your career. I think too often we ask people, Hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? And the answer is what your job is, but that's not who you are, right? That's, that's part of who you are. And it's part of what you do. Do you feel any other purpose in your life beyond this purpose of acting? Um, I think I'm still figuring that out. Like you said, I'm only 24. So I definitely have older actors that I look up to who have figured that out. Um, but I think, I think it's difficult in any career to separate your identity from who you are. But I think especially for an actor, because we put so much of who we are into our characters and into projects and into auditions, it's a lot harder to separate the two things um, just because of the emotional commitment that you give to it and how important it feels. I'm sure maybe hedge funds feel really important to someone else, but I can't really fathom that. Um, But I think with the reason that I love acting so much in the storytelling and the connectivity, I think I feel that same purpose, just being in the room with other creatives and helping other creatives realize what they want to do. Like one of my friends is writing a pilot right now and I don't get anything from reading it and talking with him and giving him notes on it. And I don't expect any form of payment or anything, but I enjoy being a sounding board for other creatives and connecting him with people who I know who might help and being a connective person. I think that's another purpose that I have of connecting people and being able to feel things with people. I think being an actor makes you a very empathetic person. Um, so I find purpose in yeah, being the person for people to talk to and share their ideas with. I think that's just an extension of storytelling and connectivity as well. I'm big into this idea of process. Um, versus the ultimate goal. How do you feel about having your purpose in the process? What does that mean to you? Again, I'm still working on it (laughs) because this industry is very product-based, like how your movie sold and what it grossed and what your agent thought afterwards and what offers you got after that. But from the people that I've talked to on my podcast and from real celebrities that talk about it, a lot of them look back on the quote unquote peak of their career. And that's when they were the most unhappy. And then they think about the very beginning when they were meeting everyone and when they were just doing the work that they enjoyed and were truly in the process. And they're like, oh, that was when I was happy because I wasn't focused on how well this is going to do, or if it'll bomb, I was focused on, I get to play pretend with these people around me and I get to like, this is my life. So I think that should be where the focus is, but it's really easy, especially when you're surrounded by billboards of projects that you auditioned for and didn't get to start just thinking about, well, it'd be better when I get. Oh, this is so important what you're saying right now, because I think this is why so many people are miserable and it's why so many people hate their job. Because they're focused on this ultimate outcome that may 
come one day or may never come. And I don't know what's worse, getting it and realizing this is it. This is what I've been working on so hard because this isn't it. I'm still not feeling it or never getting to it. I don't know which is worse. I think they're both horrible because if you put your purpose in this ultimate goal and this ultimate wealth and fame and everything else, it either it either comes and it doesn't satisfy you or it never comes in your whole life. You're pushing for it and you're never happy. But if you can, like you were just talking about with your friends that have been joyful in this process, if you get to the point where, man, what, what my calling is, is to tell these stories. What my calling is, is to express this emotion. What my calling is, is to collaborate with these other creative people and create this amazing thing that people are excited to watch and share. And it changes their life, at least for the two hours they're watching it and hopefully beyond as they're talking about it and thinking about it. If you can get it, if you can get into that, that that's your purpose, then the whole time you're making it, you're, you're having joy. And when you watch it and you're like, that's what we wanted to create. And that is awesome. It doesn't matter if only one person watches it and loves it. You had fun and joy the entire time of the process. And you know, you made something amazing and that's your purpose. Then it doesn't matter. The other stuff's gravy. You know, it's, it's like say, I'm Jesus follower, right? So seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. If I'm seeking Jesus, I'm going to have joy in everything I'm doing. And then all these other things that get sprinkled in are great, but I'm, I'm not about the sprinkles. I'm about the meat, man. And so, man, I just hope that you can get your head around that process. And, and I, and I hope you listening understand just I, I mean, if this it's one thing I would love, this is my purpose. My purpose is to help other people realize the process of your purpose is what's going to bring joy into your life. The, the, the ultimate goal, that's nice. But, you know, you were talking about that if then game faith, you know, if I get that role, then I'll be happy. If I have that Hollywood success movie, then I'll be happy. If I make $10 million, then I'll be happy. If and then you get that role and you're you're happier for a while. But then the rest of your life is still there. You know, you get that new car and after a while, it's just your new car. That's not what's going to do it, you know? So, man, I just hope people are hearing that because it's great. The most helpful thing for me is being in class. Like I have acting class every Wednesday and it's the same group of people I've been with for almost a year. And I really like the people I'm with and I really enjoy my coaches. And it's for five hours every Wednesday. And wow. We're, that's intense. Oh, that's when I first moved here. I went to class from 7 p.m. to 3 a.m. every Ooh. Wednesday, and it was really rough. Um, but I, I don't go there anymore. Um, but there's it's um just like a very magical night, which sounds very artsy in LA, but it is because we're all at very different levels in our career. Some of us have Netflix credits, some of us have big feature phone credits. Some of us don't. Some of us have a whole PR team. Some of us don't have any representation, but nobody cares in that room and there's no competition. And when anyone goes up to do a scene, my favorite thing is it's kind of like that phenomenon of like looking at the groom when the bride walks down the aisle, when someone's performing, I love to look around the room and see how much it's affecting all of the people in the room because we're all actors and we're also like emotionally dialed in anything anyone does affects the whole room. And there are scenes sometimes that land really hard and everyone's crying that night and scenes that are hilarious and everyone's laughing and having a good time. And I think that is the night where I'm like, yeah, this is fun. And this is what I'm doing, even though I didn't get that audition or I didn't get that thing. And like, neither did she, and she has way more credits than me. And so like, we're all the same. That sounds like a great night. And it does sound magical that it's where people understand this is this is it, man. We're in the process right now and we're all supporting each other. We don't have to stab each other in the back. Uh, there's, it's awesome. I love it. So what do you do when you hit those days where your purpose is not as strong and you're not feeling very motivated? What do you do? Um, I mean, that's a lot of days right now because a lot of our projects you can't do. So if you aren't in the entertainment industry, when you're on strike, um, you can't, all the union projects are not allowed to continue. So the only work right now is non-union, which means the competition is higher because that's the only projects that are doing things. 
Um, so there's just a lot less to do. So I haven't sent a self tape in a very long time, which is weird because I used to be doing like three a week. Um, so it's definitely harder to find purpose in my career right now because it's all at a standstill. So what, uh, what's a self tape just for people not oh, in a self tape LA for, lingo for people not in the industry. It's instead of going to a audition in person, you film yourself doing the audition and you send it in, um, which is very helpful. So you don't have to drive all the way to Santa Monica and maybe get your car towed. Um, so I find a lot of purpose, like I said, in class right now, as far as my business goes, I find a lot of purpose in not to plug my podcast, but I find a lot of purpose in that because I get to talk to artists about their process and not their product, kind of like what you just said. Um, and the I podcast a- is called Not Like the Movies, available yes. <laughs> now on all streaming platforms. Please subscribe. <laughs> subscribe, rate us. Um, but I also, I teach kiddos theater. And even though sometimes they drive me crazy, I do find purpose in being a positive influence on them, even if this isn't what they're going to do with for the rest of their lives. I had a lot of teachers that I still remember, and I still attribute certain qualities that I have to. And I think it's purposeful to be that person for the next generation of kids and make sure that they have someone they feel safe with. So some of the time when I talk to people about finding their purpose, they're kind of paralyzed because they're afraid they're going to make the wrong choice for their purpose. They want the perfect purpose before they start moving in any direction. What what do you say to that idea? Um, I think it's valid, <laughs> especially if you're my generation. I feel like we have a lot of noise of you should do this. No, you should do this. Why didn't you buy a home when you were 20? Why didn't you buy all these stocks. Why didn't you do this? You should have done this instead. You should do this now. So it feels very overwhelming. Um, But I think if you hone into the one thing that you cannot live without, it's almost the game of if you can't decide between one flavor of ice cream, somebody puts their hands behind their back and you pick one and see how you feel when they reveal what it is. I think if there's something in your life that if you imagine somebody came into your life and took away your ability to do it, if you were okay with that, then I'd say that probably isn't your passion or your purpose. But if you imagine someone coming in and taking away your ability to do another thing and you realize you wouldn't be able to breathe after that, or you would spiral or something, it would be very difficult to come out on the other side. I'd say that's probably the thing that you want to do. At least for me, that's how I kind of made my choice because like I said, my teacher said I was scared and he was right. It's not an easy or um, fearless thing. And I'm a very type A organized person and this career is not. But if I imagine a life where someone told me, you can't do this anymore, you can't act, you can't tell stories, you can't be a performer. I don't know how I would turn around and like have a positive life. That's intense. Cause I'm different than you, we're all different, right? So. For me, I don't think there's one and only one purpose in my life, and I don't think there's a perfect purpose. And I think that I was created in a way that I could do a multitude of things and have joy in them. And I I think instead of being paralyzed by thinking I have to choose this one right thing, mm-hmm. that if I, if I do some exercises figuring out what usually brings me joy in my life and something really kind of gives me the butterflies in my stomach, I should just start doing it. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Yeah, and then if it starts feeling better, go deeper. And if it doesn't, then go try something else because I just don't, and I'm not saying you're wrong, Faith, don't Mm -hmm. misunderstand. I'm just saying, I think for most people, first of all, you're very driven, like you said, you're type A, you kind of felt like you've known what you wanted to do for a very long time in your life. Yeah. And that's great. There, Most people never get that. I have never had that. I've never had this burning bush moment where I'm like, this is it, lightning strike moment. I've never had that. I just kind of keep doing stuff I like. And then if I like it, I do it more. And then if I don't, I try something else. And and I and I think for a lot of people, that's how they could start finding their purpose. And you can have more than one at a time and it can change over time and all that's okay. And, and it just hearing you talk about it, it made me just think, so if tomorrow... 
You could never act again. It's gone. What would you do? What would your purpose be then? Yeah, I mean, I think I think I'm saying kind of the same thing, but in a different way. I agree that you can have multiple purposes. I guess in my head, I have one primary purpose, and then I have a lot of like spider webs outside of that. Yes. Especially because I'm working on the concept of like my whole identity can't be being a performer. Um, yes. So I Amen think to that. there for some people, you do have like a strong call to a primary one. And then some people, like you said, you're just kind of trying to cipher through which things you want to pursue. So I definitely think you can have multiple. Like if if I didn't have multiple, it would be not great right now because my industry is shut down. So essentially someone did come in and say you can't act anymore. Um, but if somebody truly said I couldn't be an actor, I would probably then go to the spider web of, then I'll be a writer, then I'll be a director, then I'll be a something within this realm. So I think there are multiple things that you can hold at once. For me though, with my personality type, if I didn't hone in on one, I'd be trying to be the best at 10 different things. And then I would just be average at all of them. Oh, I think there's a lot of truth in that. That's why you try different things. And then when you find the one that you're really feeling called to, you kind of zone in on that because, yeah, if you're too scattered, you're just going to be mediocre at all of them. Yeah. Right. I agree with that for sure. You know, you mentioned identity, and I think that's so key because in America, in the Western culture, this isn't the same around the world, but in the Western culture, our identity is so tight with our career. Mm. And that's why when people get fired or people retire, it can wreck you because you're like, who am I now? So how do you handle that? Mm -hmm. I'm still working on that, too. Um, I think especially for people who a BFA program is a Bachelor of Fine Arts, and it's usually a small amount of people like there were 12 people in my class and you do theater. 18 hours a day for four years and your whole world is the PAC performing arts center. Um, and while that is helpful because I know a lot of techniques, I know a lot of knowledge. I had a lot of experiences in different formats of art and that's all great. The thing that I think those programs do not teach you is that when you go out into the real world to be a person, I'm not doing theater 18 hours a day. At most, I'm doing theater eight hours a day, and that's because I'm teaching it to other people. I'm not doing it myself. And then all the rest of the time, you have to be a person and interact with people and run errands and pay rent and do all of these other things, which is kind of ironic because then the four years before that, you spent just doing this one thing. So of course, your identity is going to be in that thing. And then they just let you go and hope that you figure out the rest. <laughs> so <laughs> I think... And I think that's true for a lot of college programs. I don't know if that's the same for, oh, yeah. I know it's the same for nursing. I have friends who were nursing majors and that's all they did for 18 hours a day. And now they're like, I don't know who else I am besides this because I didn't have time for a hobby. So I think it's a very hard transition for people in their twenties trying to figure out who they are without their job or on their days off. So I don't know. I don't I don't really have an answer on how you find that. I think it's a lot of trial and error and a lot of hanging out with different people and doing different things and kind of seeing what sticks and what feels like you and what doesn't. Yeah, that's good. And, you know, I'll put in my plug for Jesus because people it's a human condition that you want purpose and you want your identity rooted in something that you can count on and believe in and won't let you down. And the only thing I know that won't let you down is Jesus. But because if you look at people, what, what do they do? They become political activists or they become, mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're, they, they find something that they can pour themselves into that is bigger than themselves, that makes them feel like their life has meaning and value and significance. And if it's not your career or if it is your career and then you get fired, you're in trouble. If it's not, what is it outside of that? And so I would just encourage people to find that thing that, that they feel like they can trust and put their heart and soul into, because if you don't, you're going to be unfulfilled. There's just no two ways about it. And uh, you probably experienced it. If you haven't, you will eventually. Um, I wanted to ask you, Faith, what is your definition of success? 
Um, I think it's ever changing. I uh, obviously success in my career would be a certain level of achievement in roles in projects. But ideally, in a perfect world, true success would mean I am saying no to projects that I don't feel align with me. I am getting to work on things that I believe in with people who I enjoy and that I have a full, quote unquote, normal life outside of Hollywood, outside of the set, outside of the stage that is equally fulfilling as being somebody else and telling a story. That's a great answer. I love that. I guess I'm I'm just thinking, you know, for the rest of your life too, outside of work at all and your family and everything else. And I'm sure you have ideas in your head for success for that. I love this this old guy, Earl Nightingale. He's like the guy that first started audiobooks. Um he was a one of the earlier motivational speakers. And I love his definition for success. He said it's the progressive realization of a worthy goal or ideal. And it goes right to that process that I'm talking about and, and in every part of your life. So so what's the worthy goal or ideal in your home life, in your marriage, in your kids, in your career, in what you do in the community? And, you know, every part of your life, what is the progressive realization of a worthy goal or ideal that you have laid out? And of course, that implies that first you've got to figure out what your worthy goal or ideals are. Yeah. And I think that's huge because if we don't sit down and take the time to do that, we're just kind of, Zig Ziglar called it, you're a, a, a wandering generality, you know, because if you never get specific, you're just a wandering generality. And who wants to do that? So I love that idea because the second you say, this is my worthy goal, I'm going to tell stories that that move people. Well, every step you take towards doing that, you're now a success because that's the progressive realization of it. I want to have a marriage that is loving and fulfilling and joyful and we compliment each other and we encourage each other. Well, the second you're starting to look for a marriage partner to do that, you're a success, right? That's what I love about it is you don't have to wait to the end to be a success. Mm -hmm. And it's up to you to say what that, I noticed you didn't say that, one of your goals is to make X number of dollars, which I think is great because I think that comes with doing great work and not focused on the money. But again, that's because it's the progressive realization of it. So you don't have to sit there and go, Oh man, you know, I didn't make my $10 million this year. I only made a million. So I'm not a success, which would be ridiculous. Right. But people do that. Mm -hmm. So I I'm, I'm glad that you, the way you described that, I thought, really makes me happy for you because I think you can do that and you can have joy. So what, I love the word joy. What brings you joy in your life and your work? Mm, I mean, a lot of different things. I think when our industry is up and running, that brings me joy, especially when you get lucky with your cast when it's creatives who are supportive and have the same dreams and ideals as you. And my community and my class brings me joy and just how much everyone supports each other and is there and open and willing to create art. I think that's really lovely. And my kiddos that just really enjoy being on stage I think it's um, people in LA talk about their inner child a lot. <laughs> and I think watching the younger kids that I teach, I see a lot of myself in them and how much fun I had when I was that little. And it brings me joy that I'm able to give that to them as well. Um, and when they give me little notes at the end or say that they had the best summer ever, I think it's just little joyful things like that, that they might not remember me or they might. And either way, like, at least this was a positive experience in their life with something that related to art and not their tablet. Um, and the beach brings me joy. I like that it's sunny here all the time. I love where I live. I live on a hill. So like right now I'm looking out onto the city 
which is a very meta thing for me because I wanted to move to LA since I was like eight and now I'm here and this is what I look at every day. Um, so I guess kind of like what you just said, that's success too, even though I'm, you know, struggling to pay rent sometimes I'm still successful in the fact that I did it and I made it here. So. Yes. as great. First of all, you are a success. Now, are you a success in a quote movie star and making millions of dollars? No. I don't know if that's how you define success. But... I just saw a thing on Instagram today that said, if you made under $70,000 a year in LA, you're considered low income. And I sent it to my best friend lives here too. And I sent it to her and we both don't make half of that in a year. Right now, but who knows what's going to happen in the future, which is very cool. But yeah, that's great. Of course, see, that's the problem with the comparison game. Because you could compare the way you just did and feel bad about your income. Or if you're making if you're making thirty grand a year, you're in the top one percent of the income earners globally. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> right. So you get you say, Hey, I'm not living on a dollar a day like they are in the third world. So <laughs> I know it feels like it sometimes. <laughs> it does. It really does. <laughs> All right. Well then that that brings me to some something I wanted to get to is what it's like. To just say, all right, I'm moving 3,000 miles, whatever I can pack in the car. I don't even know exactly where I'm going to end up, but I have a pretty good idea of what I'm going to do. What was great about that? Let's start with that. Um, I mean, I was finally doing it, so that was great and felt like a step in the right direction, especially after COVID when no one really knew what was happening at all. So that was great. And I felt like I was finally, I finally had control over something in my career. I could decide if I was going to go or not. So that was nice. What was hard about it? <laughs> so many things. Um, A lot of it's hard. It's not, Hollywood is not glamorous unless you are in the top 1%. And even then most of them are on antidepressants or rehab or <laughs> something like that. <laughs> Why do you think that is? I'm very interested in that. I think it's because they got to the top and realized that it wasn't as good as they thought it would be. And they still don't like themselves. And now they don't know what to do. I think it's the exact. I think you're dead on product over process, which is what Hollywood feeds you is that your product is more important than your process. Amen. If you let it, it'll swallow you up. Yeah. No doubt about it. I mean, it's the same thing. You see it in, in so many people that you, I think you're dead on, man. You, you got to work on yourself. And being comfortable with yourself and with what truly is your purpose and your joy. Otherwise, you're going to let everybody else define it for you. Everybody else defines it by how famous you are and how much money you make if you're in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. And then you get it and you're like, this is it? Yeah. I just saw a clip with Rain Wilson when he was on The Office. And he was like. Oh, yeah. You sent it to me. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Because he was like, I was, I was in the best point of my career and I couldn't enjoy it because all I could do was keep worrying. Why don't I in this movie? Why aren't I making this much money? Why isn't everybody? And he's like, man, I wish I could go back and just enjoy that process. Cause I was working with the best people. It was the best show. We were having so much fun and I ruined it. Yeah. And I have a lot of empathy for those people because I don't think, I mean, you have to take some accountability, but I don't think a lot of it is their fault. If any other normal person was put in the same circumstances, I think they would react the same way. Absolutely. That's why you got to, that's why it's, you know, I'm so glad we're talking about it and, and you're seeing these people because you know, it's coming so you can prepare for it, you know, because that's, mm -hmm. what's going to come at you if you're not Especially ready Especially like, do you know how Alison Stoner is the, she was in a bunch of Disney shows when she was little. She's the friend of Mitchie and Camp Rock. I'm sure you've seen her when Summer and I like watched shows like that. But she now has a series called Dear Hollywood. And it's about children stars and how they mm. were not given the support that they needed to transition because she points to Miley and Demi and Selena and all the things that they all had to go through. And they're all significantly better now and talk about mental health and all of this stuff. But they all have spoken out and been like, nobody helped me. Nobody told me as a 12 year old, this is what you need to do so that you don't explode or implode later on. Because like at 13, every kid's dream is to be famous. And these 13 year olds are famous and they don't know what to do. And then everybody's praising them, but you're not an adult. So you don't have control of your finances. It's a very weird, 
very weird system, but yeah, it's not, it's not as glamorous as people make it seem. Like when I first moved here, I didn't have a house. I was house sitting and couch surfing. My car got broken into a bunch of my stuff got stolen. Um, I went through a bad breakup. I, what else happened? I got in a car crash. Um, my rental car got in a car crash and I had a horrible boss. <sighs> I'm just laughing because um, <laughs> I remember when all this was happening, your mom and I were just saying, okay, uh, it wasn't great. <laughs> this is all, this is going to stop eventually. And when, when it's all done, Faith's going to be super strong or yeah. oh, my car she's going to come back. <laughs> yeah. Now, and what was, you know, most of that wasn't your fault. Some of it was. And I'm sure you'll acknowledge that looking back at it, you're like, man, I could have done that differently. But yeah. a lot of it was not, quote, your fault. It's part of life. Man. Oh, we had a horrible life. agent. I forgot about that. Yeah. And life is hard and it'll kick you right in the butt sometimes. And life was kicking you in the butt. Yeah. It wasn't great. No, but you, you came through all that. And and now you're on the other side and now things are, are, I mean, I do think it's made you stronger, tougher. You're going to have a great story to tell when you get the Oscar one day. It's going <laughs> to yeah. be awesome. So I'm, I'm super pumped that you've, you've made it through all that. So one last question on that. Now where you are, if you could go back and tell 22-year-old Faith just about to leave the house in Jacksonville to drive to LA, what advice would you give her? I think that when you're in your early 20s, people tell you it's going to be hard a lot. And so you get tired of that. It's also not super helpful to just hear a bunch of adults tell you it's going to be really hard. Um, Because I don't think I was disillusioned into thinking that it was going to be relatively easy. I definitely did not think I was going to get here and be a star within even the first 10 years. Um, Because I do my homework and I know that that's not how this industry works unless you are like the 0.1. Zero 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 one percent But I think it would have been nice to know that everybody is going to feel the way I felt when I moved to a new place. And it's not just you not doing it right or you not being a positive enough person. And I think it applies to whatever city you move to after you graduate college, even if you move back to your hometown, it's not the same. I think that first two years is really hard anytime you move to a new city because you have to learn how to make adult friends and be a single adult, which means you have to do all of the laundry and all of the cooking and all of the cleaning and all the errands. Nobody can take you to drop off your car. It's just like very difficult in a life sense. But I think it's like that for everyone. Like once I started talking to people here about how hard things were, they were like, oh, me too. And that's nice to know that it's not just you messing up. It's just how it is. That's real good. And it's not just the Hollywood industry. Like you said, no matter where you move, no matter what job you're in, there's going to be a lot of growing pains. And and to know that is good. Yeah. Well, now that you've been auditioning and you've auditioned a ton, I know, um, and working as an actor, what has surprised you about the movie business? It is exactly like people think it is and also the exact opposite. There are 100% the people that your small town grandma warns you about that want to take advantage of you and want to just get themselves to a higher place off of what you can offer. Those people are real. They're not just some story. And even though we are progressing, there's still a big sexism factor in our industry. So that's still there in certain rooms, which kind of sucks. But there's also on the total opposite side, I have met significantly more people that are lovely and care about making art and respect me as an artist and want to know my opinion, even though I'm younger and I'm a girl and I don't have a ton of credits under my belt. They care about my opinion and they want to collaborate and they want to make something that touches people. And that Hollywood gets a really bad rep in press and Team Z and all these things. I don't think they focus enough on the people that are really genuine people who just want to share a story and have other people be seen because those are real people that exist here too. That's good. I, I like I like it when you say lovely. 
I don't know why I like that word a lot. That's lovely. It's just a very nice word. Yeah, I say it a lot. My kids have started saying it. They're like, Miss Faith, that's lovely. <laughs> that's your grandma's British coming through. Brilliant and lovely. All right. What is a lesson that you have learned that you think everyone should know? I think this comes with being an actor, but I think you can learn it and know it if you're not an actor. But my teachers always say when you're playing a character, you can't judge them. Even if you are playing a murderer, you yourself as the actor can't be like, this is a bad person because then in my acting, it won't make sense because no one, like we all don't like ourselves at moments in time, but no one is ever just consistently like, I made the wrong choice. 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 And they can continue doing that. So when you're playing someone, you can't be judging who they are. And that lends itself to there are bad people who do good things. There are good people who do bad things. There are good people who make the wrong choice. There are bad people who make the right choice. I don't think, I think that's a lesson that is very hard to learn, but that one instance doesn't define a person and neither does who you think they are. Like people are multifaceted and sometimes what they do doesn't make sense. And it's really hard to come to peace with that, especially if you are a control freak. <laughs> but people are very dynamic. And I think you just have to accept that they're not always going to make sense in the way that you want them to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was kind of everywhere, but. Well, it, it's really good in so many different ways because the first thing I thought of when you said that is it's rare that unless you're a psych, uh, psychotic person, it's rare that you go through life thinking I'm evil, right? Yeah. Um, and it's because everybody, like you said, has their, their good and their bad points, but it's very interesting how we think about ourselves. Like, if I'm driving down the road, I think I'm driving great, mm -hmm. right? The person behind me who's on my tail is horrible and driving way too fast. But the person in front of me that isn't going as fast as I am is horrible because they drive way too slow. But the perfect driver is me driving just the right speed, right? I mean, that's how we all think or else we would drive differently, right? And it's the same thing with your life. You know, you're, you're like, I'm, I'm doing so. Th this guy's the problem or this you know, so it is interesting that if you're going to try and inhabit that person to play that role, you've got to really feel and think like they do. Right. And that did help you start to think, well, you know, I really probably shouldn't judge people that quickly. And then I, I made me think of the cancel culture that I hate because the whole idea of that is you do one thing and you're done. And it's like, wait a second. Are we never going to let people grow? Are we going to let people yeah. say that they're sorry? Are we not going to have people realize that they did? something wrong or they made a mistake or they had the wrong kind of way to think about things. And Hey, you're right. I, I shouldn't have done that. That was wrong. You know what? I need to grow and change. And, and I think I can, if you give me a chance, but no, we're just going to cancel yeah. you. That drives me nuts. I don't say that in a way of you should let people just walk all over you because they're dynamic and, and you don't know what their intention was. You can still expect a lot from people and understand that people are human. You can expect them to apologize. You can expect them to respect your boundaries and things that you have expressed. Because I also hate when people are like, well, that wasn't my intention. Well, that's how I took it. So I'm so that's just how it is. <laughs> so <laughs> that doesn't mean that you can just let people be bad people. <laughs> but there's room for understanding while saying I'm still hurt and you still owe me an apology or you still have to own up to what you did. Like with the cancel culture, how are people supposed to learn if we don't let them apologize and let them show us that they're going to do better? I'm not saying that people should be able to do something bad and then be like, oops, sorry, and then go do it again. <laughs> That's not at all what I'm saying. But if you make it so terrible to their career for them to admit that they did something wrong, then people are just going to keep digging deeper and never apologize. Same with, I work with kids and I make mistakes all the time. You know how embarrassing it is to have to apologize to an eight-year-old? 
it's not fun. It's horrible. And you're the teacher and you're in charge. But I try my hardest when I actually do mess up to apologize to them because they need to see an adult be like, I made a mistake. That was my fault. This is how I'm going to fix it. I'm sorry that I hurt you. Because if they don't see adults do that, how are they going to grow up and do that for other people? Then we're just kind of a bunch of people shame spiraling on their own and then nothing ever happens. I hope you remember, because this was a big thing that mom and I tried to do as parents, is that when we made a mistake, we would come and tell you guys and apologize. Like, because there were yeah. times I would get mad and there were times when I would yell and I was like, man, I shouldn't have gotten that mad at Faith and Summer. And uh, I would come and say, hey, I- I'm sorry that I-, I yelled. I didn't need to. And do you remember that ever? Yeah. Good. Because I totally agree with you. That's what we got to do. And there is a big difference between understanding someone and not judging them and excusing it. We're not saying yeah. excuse bad things and excuse people behaving horribly. We're saying the first step, though, is understanding where they're coming from, um, explaining it maybe in our heads of why that person's that way, and then working on, hey, bro, you can't do that, and you owe me an apology, and you shouldn't do that anymore. Absolutely. I'll go to Jesus one more time. Jesus was the most loving person ever, but he didn't let you do stuff that was wrong. He would call you out. Uh, and say, hey, now go forth and sin no more. You know, he didn't just say, ah, no problem. Keep doing it. Everything's okay. No, bro, you got to stop. Mom has, my mom's a first grade teacher and I work with kids too. So we talk about this a lot, but she has this thing where if a kid is really getting on her nerves, she will look at their hands and look at how tiny their hands are and think about what a small human is trying to figure out this world. And I have started doing that to adults in my life. I will look at their hands and I will imagine that their hands are as small as the six-year-olds that I teach and think about the fact that they responded to me in that way because of something, because something hurt them when they were six and they haven't figured out how to handle that in their adult life. And again, that doesn't mean that I'm like, okay, that's fine. Treat me like that. But it helps me not take it so personally or blow up every time someone says something rude to me. It helps me understand and then be like, you can't talk to me like that. We're moving on instead of carrying that through the rest of the week or the month or whatever. Yes, that is so important that we, we because I do believe that we've gotten to a point in society where there's a segment of society that thinks that if you offend me, my life is over, basically. <laughs> it's like. Man, that's going to be tough to go through life that way, right? Or And or they then think they have the right to tell you exactly what you should say and do. And you don't have that right just because you're offended. You got to get your skin a little bit tougher. But you and you're kind of talking that middle ground of saying, hey, look, that that did offend me. And you you insulted me and I'm not going to let you talk to me like that. And then you can either choose to work with that person or you can choose to go somewhere else, but you can't really force somebody to change who they are. And I think that's where it gets a little bit wonky of you have control over you. You have control over how you react to a situation, what your belief is about it and what your behavior is. And then you can, maybe collaborate with this person and have them go, Oh, you're right. I shouldn't have done that. I'll do that. Or you can say, see ya. <laughs> I'm going to go yeah. work with some other people now because you're not good for me. Right. Yeah. And I'm a, I'm a very sensitive person, especially with words. I think just because of what I do, I think words carry a lot of weight. So I have to be able to see something in them for it not to like, quote unquote, hurt me as much to just look at them and be like, something hurt you and something affected you. And it wasn't me. And you, ju- I just happen to be here. And so I'm not going to carry that with me. That is such a great mindset because that is what's going on in his head. And most people never stop and think about that. And that can help you change the way you react to stuff and how much it impacts you. Because why do you want to give power to somebody who's so negative to you to change your life? Because it's your choice, right? Of how much power you give them over you. I love how you're doing and that. And sometimes doesn't work. There are some people still that if I saw them walking down the street right now, it would not affect me greatly or it would affect me greatly, but not in a positive way. Like there are some people that are just like that, but it's a helpful thing 
in your day-to-day life. For sure. There's nobody that does it 100%, uh, but it does help if you can practice it for, for sure. I'm going to ask you some that aren't quite as specific about Hollywood. Uh, what do people misunderstand about you the most? I think the the sensitive thing. I think I I give off a very um, chill demeanor, I think, just because I it puts people at ease and I feel at ease when I feel that other people are at ease. I don't like walking into a scenario and feeling people's anxiety or their stress. So I like that to even out. But I think because I present that way, people think that a lot of things don't bother me. And yeah, I think I'm a lot more sensitive than most people think of me as. Hmm. Do you want them to know that you're sensitive or are you trying to hide that? Um, I think kind of both. I think you have to earn that. Like I'm not going to show that to the person I just met because I don't really see the purpose in that. Um, and that might not be like, quote unquote, the healthiest thing, but also you don't tell your whole life story to someone you just met. Like there are protective things yeah, that's that everyone not healthy. does. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I think it's just something that people earn and closer people see more of. Um, but yeah, I think that goes hand in hand with I'm not a super, I think I present as more of an extrovert than I am. I think a lot of actors have to present as an extrovert because we have to do press and we have to do meetings and chemistry reads and we have to be fun on set so that people will hire us. But a lot of actors are super introverted because we're so in our heads with the characters and the empathy and the connection and things. So it's like a dueling, I'm an extrovert for this part of my job, but really I'm very in my head and in what is happening in my like small circle versus the big circle. Like I don't like hosting parties. I don't like my birthday party because I don't like being the center of attention if I'm not on the stage or on the screen. I like to be invited. I like for people to want me to be there. And if I'm not there, I like for people to miss me that I'm not there. But I don't want to be the reason the party is happening. I love being a bridesmaid. I don't think I'm going to enjoy being the bride. I like being there and being important to what's happening, but not the purpose of what's occurring. We'll keep the wedding really, really small, and then it won't be a big deal. (laughs) Unless it's on stage, then I want everyone to look at me. And if I'm on screen, I want everyone to pay attention. All right, then we'll just film the wedding. That's all we got (laughs) to do. So I, I think that is such an important thing about, and you may even have to let people know sometimes, hey, I know it seems like I'm extroverted, but I'm really not. And this is really hard for me because I think that's why a lot of times introverted people are called divas or mean or other words that I don't really want to use because mine, my podcast doesn't allow me to do that because I don't want to Um, because it, people just expect something from you and because you're not giving it to them, they think it's mean, but it's really, you just like, man, I'm, I'm an introvert. I, I'm, I'm not feeling very good right now. You know, that's tough. Mm-hmm. And I think people are allowed to change. Like you're allowed to be an extrovert with certain people and an introvert with other people. And I don't think that's rude either. No, it's not. It's absolutely true. I mean, I, people think I'm an extrovert. I am not an extrovert. If I go to a party and I don't know anybody, I don't want to be there. I'm ready to go home. You know, but if I'm it's not... part of all my friends, then I'm talking to everybody. right. If if you know four or five people, this is great. But no, so I'm I'm I understand. What's your favorite childhood memory? You more like general feelings or images. Like in my acting class, we pull a lot from images and specific instances or feelings. Like for me, a really strong feeling is nighttime. In the evening, we would always go to Cocoa Beach with your side of the family. And I have cousins that are my age. And it's usually around six or seven when we'd all be in a similar outfit to take a picture for grandma. And everyone's kind of burned, but it's not painful. It's just summery burn. And the beach is really cool. And there's a breeze and you can feel the sand. And it's one of those times when you feel like you could run forever. And I hate running. So it's one of the only times that I feel like that. And it just feels almost like somebody could package that up and sell that as 
like the summer I turned pretty, which is the show right now. Um, it just feels like the essence of summertime as a kid and there's no homework and there's, you're not worried about going back to work on Monday because you're eight. And it's just that essence, I guess. I want to go there right now. That, that is even as an adult, when we're in those moments, it's fantastic. It's great. You mentioned this at the beginning of the podcast that you can learn a lot about somebody by their favorite movies. So what are a couple of your favorite mm -hmm. movies and what about them do you love? Yeah. I always get insecure about this, especially in Hollywood because people ask you this a lot and they want a very profound answer. And I like very stereotypical movies. So I'm going to preface it with that. Well, let me preface it with this. I'm not looking for a profound answer. I'm looking for the truth. Okay. I really like La La Land with Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling because it's one of the more honest movies about what this life is. She gets rejected all the time. She's trying to have a relationship, but they're also kind of competing because he's also in the arts. So she feels like she's not doing enough. And she finally gets it, but they don't end up together. And she ends up with someone else, but was he her soulmate? And it's not really a super happy ending, but she does become a success. And then you wonder if she would have been happier just with the guy she was in love with in a smaller house or not. It's just very open-ended for your interpretation, but then it also has the glam of a big musical number at a Hollywood house. So it's fun to watch and they fall in love and that's fun to watch. And I know all the places they went because I live here, which is kind of fun. And then I really, really like the Barbie movie, which I know has a lot of controversy right now. I think it <laughs> really just depends on how you took the movie. Because to me, it is not an I hate men movie. It is a, it has been really hard to be a woman, especially in the industry, to be all of these things to be expected. And it is also really hard to be Ken because they highlight how Barbie doesn't care about Ken in the beginning. She doesn't want him there. He's insignificant. And that ruins him. And I think that happens to a lot of guys as well is they don't feel important. So then they turn into the quote unquote patriarchy, whatever you want to call it. And I think it did a great job of exposing both of those problems. And then at the end, there was a lovely moment where she apologized and helped him realize that he's someone without her, just like how she's someone without him. And I think that was really lovely. It was funny. Greta Gerwig is a genius. They had like random little quips about everyone. They even made fun of the fact that they were trying to make Margot Robbie sound like she thought she was ugly. I don't know if you've seen it, but Margot Robbie is like sobbing and says like, I'm not pretty anymore. And then Greta Gerwig comes, or I don't know if it's her, but somebody comes in on the intercom of the movie and pauses it and goes, if you are trying to make this point, note to the filmmaker, Margot Robbie is not the person to make this point. And then the movie just keeps going. Because you're all like, she's gorgeous. She's stunning. This doesn't make sense. But it's funny. Everybody is represented. There are people of different colors. There are people of different abilities. And in the end, it's just like a lot of self-realization. She even has a moment where Barbie decides if she wants to go to the real world or not and is talking to her creator. And it's kind of like a God moment. And it also just depends on your interpretation. I like movies that are very open and present an idea, but it just leaves people to run with what they think. I think that's really powerful. We all saw the same thing, but leaving the theater, people have different ideas of what they were going for and what they actually meant. And did this connect to this? I think that's really interesting. I like when you walk out of the theater and people are still talking about it. I think that means it was a good movie. I love that. I, I've not seen Barbie, but I, because I'm, you know, a 54 year old man. But I think you would like it. It's funny. <laughs> I'll probably see it when it comes out on the streamer. I've seen uh, it twice in the theater. <laughs> very cool. But I, I agree with you that I like movies, <clears throat> excuse me, that allow you to interpret it. You know, everybody mm -hmm. can watch this movie and see it a million different ways. I think that takes skill. And I think it allows people to enjoy it on different levels than just trying to tell somebody exactly don't beat me over the head with your message. Let me figure it out yeah. and let me run with it where I want to take it. I think that's really cool. 
Can I ask you, you've got a bunch of note cards on the wall behind you. What oh, are those? Yeah. <laughs> what are those for? I'm trying to, my friend Dawson is, he's writing a pilot and he told me that I should try and write one. So I'm, I'm trying, but this is like act one, act two, act three, act four. For a TV show or a movie? A pilot for like a TV series. TV series. Comedy? Drama? Dramedy? Uh, Drama coming of age. Oh, I'm very excited to hear this one day. Where can people find out more about you? The gram, the podcast, let us hear it. All the things. I'm on Instagram at M, because my first name is Margaret, Faith Knapp, K-N-A-P-P. Um, that's my personal Instagram. I post about my life and also acting things. If you want to follow me on there, um, you can look me up on IMDb if you're an actor and you're into that same name. There's not a ton of stuff on there, but if you want to look at that, that's cool. And then my podcast is called not like the movies. It's on Spotify and Apple music. It is about Hollywood, but more about the creative process, the day-to-day life and how it's not glamorous and it's not like the movies but it's something that's lovely in a different way um you can follow us on instagram it's not like the movies pod it's all about the process that's my mantra well all of that that faith just went over is going to be in the show notes with all the links to it so you didn't have to write it all down and if you did you got bonus points (laughs) but thank you faith for being with me uh i just love talking to you obviously i love you you're my daughter i love what you've been doing I think you should be extremely proud of what you've done so far, and I can't wait to see what you're going to do next. Thanks, Dad. (laughs) If this resonates with you, I want you to have a free gift from me. It's my ebook, Five Steps to Finding Your Passion and Purpose. Get it at my website, gregorybnapp.com. The information's in the show notes. 